Hold on to your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jay Clark. <clears throat> oh, let's get a little warmed up here. Just a warm up. I want to believe June seventh, nineteen eighty four, First Avenue. Oh, what a four-day weekend. And unfortunately, I can't play the whole song here because, well, we're a talk station, not a music station. And plus, even on the Joey Clark Radio Hour, we're not allowed to play a tune like Erotic City. I can play the beginning of it, though. It's good stuff, though. Good stuff. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. That was pretty much what I was doing this long, long four-day weekend. I mean, I thought about our nation's uh, greatest founding values and where we're going. Is it Actually, no. I'm full of crap. I didn't think about that at all. Because I'm going through a phase, folks. And by the way, Troy is out tonight, so in his stead... It's not really an upgrade, but it's not a downgrade either. I put y'all on about the same level. Though you are in the Joey Clark Radio Hour Hall of Fame, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome my favorite. It was a Nazi. It was a Nazi man. Seth Spotlow, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm going through a phase. Dude, it's totally a downgrade. I'm a downgrade. You're not a downgrade. Nah, it's okay. You're not a downgrade. I am okay with that. Oh, look at you, lowering expectations. Yeah, keep the bar low. And then whenever you see what's up, you're like, whoa. No, but I'm going through this phase where, like, I, I see, for instance, on the television screen right now, very serious issue. They're talking about the financier, the billion-dollar man, Jeffrey Epstein, being charged with sex trafficking. You know who I thought that was? Uh, the guy from the Food Network that killed himself. Ooh, who? Uh, Andrew uh, Zimmerman or whatever. The, Zimmerman killed him. No, no, no. The 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 cook. Uh, oh, Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, him. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, and that's that's a shame. No, no. I mean, he does kind of favor. They favor each other. But yeah, Epstein. There have been rumors for years that he has, well, trafficked in young young women. So yeah. There's a quote by Donald Trump. They're trying to tie the president to this uh, dirtbag, this very rich dirtbag. I mean, hey, when you're on that level of money and of connections, like you're hanging out with presidents and ex-presidents and senators and the richest people in the on the planet, in our society, and you have the means of air travel... You can get away with a lot of stuff. No doubt. I mean, what they're charging him with is probably not even what he's done in the dark room, in the back room. They're probably going for what they can get him on. I mean, sex trafficking is bad in the first place, but, I mean, aren't they saying that these are like, you said young, young. They're like well, kids, right? Uh, 14. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the quotes here on the top of the Drudge Report is, quote, I was 14. I had braces. We're not talking Invisalign. That is so bad, man. And, you know, the older I get, it's one thing when you're, you know, lusting after somebody who's 16, 17, 18, and you're 16, 17, 18. Or, you know, you're the same age. You're a contemporary. Uh, it really hasn't. I've talked about it on the show. The older I get, 
if I meet somebody, and like a young woman, and she's cute, and I'm liking talking to her, and I hear that she's like 18, 19, and I'm 30 years old, that I start thinking I'm talking to somebody's daughter. Obviously, it's somebody's yeah. daughter. They weren't you know, born in a test tube or anything. Um, then I might be interested. It's like, you know, you're only 18, but you're you were born kid. in a test tube? You don't know anything. You right. have not and, done anything stupid. Right, and you know, I tend to like people who are uh, a little more mature, not too mature. You know, we'll have a little fun. But I'm saying all this because this is one of the big stories of the day, of the weekend. Jeffrey Epstein being charged. Um, and he was in court today. Apparently, he's going to be in jail for the next week waiting a bail uh, hearing. And he's a flight risk because he is, in fact, a registered sex offender based on a case in Florida that had a secret plea deal to it. Maybe they should move it to Alabama and we can castrate him. Yeah, that's the thing here. Now, well, isn't it rape or no? It's there was a new uh, chemical castration bill that was thrown out there for I think yeah child molesters. That's great. Well, that's basically what he's doing. Yeah, it is what he's doing. Well, he was flying a plane. The rumor is called the Lolita Express. You've heard of Lolita, the famous novel by Vladimir Nabokov. No. Um, yeah, it's about, it's essentially a novel from the perspective of a child molester. That's terrible, man. Well, and it's a fascinating book. It's not, like the author says, it's amazing. When I read that book, I put it down about page 180-something. You just stopped reading it? I was disgusted. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's well, and it wasn't like the... It's not like the. It's not like pornographic in the sense that it, it's going all sorts of detail. It's more... The way it's written is from the perspective, the first person almost briefing, like he's giving a, a legal argument in his favor, and it's so it's it's the book is written as though it's written by the pedophile. Man, Rooks, books have power. I mean, if you write it right, it can make you vomit. I mean, I, I read a scary book one time, and it, yeah. it, I almost threw up. Right, and when you can really put yourself, music does this, really good movies do this, really good television shows, and but I think there's something about a book that can get so detailed and so into somebody's psychology and different motivations that as you read this book, you see where he's coming from. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 but don't do that. No, don't do that. And I, I put the book down. Essentially, it's and what's amazing though is in the back of the book, the author it, writes about it. He said most people put the book down about page one eighty something, and it's not because of some graphic scene. It's just it becomes the guy's messed up psychology just becomes so much, and it's why the book's a brilliant novel because it really shows the horror of this person, but also how he justifies it. That's nuts, man. And it's, uh, I mean, brilliantly written. Um, I think Nabokov was one of these guys who, uh, you know, some people will make music and they see colors. Yeah. Um, was it synesthesia or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, he did that with words, like word, auditory words, but also words like he would think in terms of color, could speak multiple languages. That was freaking brilliant. But he, a big point he made is, my novel is not to be a celebration of this sort of behavior it's really a very honest look at what drives somebody to do and behave in this way how they're messed up and so for somebody like epstein if it's true to have his plane called the lolita express man i i think we're just scratching the surface and i mean there's of course all the scandal aspect of it if he gets out he paid somebody well no but here's what happens i think if he gets out and this is the scandal element is that it'll, these rumors around Epstein, he's, again, a registered sex offender um, in the state of Florida after a secret plea deal in a court recently ruled it unconstitutional, which sort of opened him up. The state of New York is going after him. In this case, they arrested him. Apparently, they seized nude photographs of underage women. Uh, he apparently would lure people. Uh, you know, this is the thing. It's like the excuse was, come up to my mansion and uh, give me a massage. That's a lore that I would follow. Sure. <laughs> you know, you got a mansion? Uh, you going to give me a back rope? <laughs> no, it's like the old Pulp Fiction thing. Like, would you give a man a foot massage? <laughs> no. In a mansion, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no. Like, I don't care who you are. If somebody, like, goes, hey, come over to my place and give me a massage, 
very rarely is it just a massage. Oh, it's yeah. kind of like George Costanza. It's like, coffee doesn't mean coffee. Coffee meant sex. Like, you know, the Seinfeld episode, she invites him up for coffee, and he's like, no, I'm good. I'm an idiot. I'm the guy who'd be like, yeah, where's coffee? <laughs> but here's the reason I'm going into the story, because I was just looking up on our uh, TV monitor here, and Ben Sass of Nebraska, senator from Nebraska, is sitting there talking to Martha McCallum on Fox News, and there's something happening to me, and it's not like I'm a deviant or I just want to burn things down. But it's a, uh, it's like I, like you're way too earnest, man. Like when do we get so? And I think it's like when do we get? No, we've always been like overly earnest and concerned about, especially in political circles, making sure the country's right on the right moral glide path and everything's going. And so they grab onto all these symbols. I care about if, as far as I can care, the victims of Epstein. And if there are real victims, and I think they are, I think the rumors are true, there's fire producing this smoke, then he should be held to justice and everything should be done for the people who know these victims to make them whole. I mean, one of the points, though, of that brilliant novel, Lolita, and this is the most uh, the most profound aspect, tragically profound aspect of the book, is essentially this man stole this young girl's life. Yeah, yeah, basically. You take their innocence. Yeah, you take their innocence, but it's not like, oh, it just happened that one time, and then, you know, they moved on. No. It sticks with people for a while. I heard an interesting uh, podcast conversation that makes me think of this. But my point is, the before I get to that, my point is that I care about the victims, I care about justice being served, but I, I really don't care for politicians making it their new hill to die on, the new symbol of what's going on with the nation. Essentially, my point, folks, is that politics is really annoying the crap out of me these days. Like, there are so many amazing things in this world. Just read a piece where people are very upset with the psychologist Steven Pinker, mostly people on the left, because Pinker, Steven Pinker, he's a Harvard professor, he's world-renowned, a brilliant researcher, he's donated to the Democratic Party, he's a center-left guy, and they can't stand him because he's been pointing out in his new book, Enlightenment Now, that actually over the last few decades, say the last 50 years, if not a larger scale, 200 years, life keeps getting progressively better. And it's mostly due to markets and voluntary exchange. And almost by every measure, not just GDP, like there's less malnutrition in children. There's less abject poverty. Abject poverty has been cut in half over the last few decades. Astounding numbers, faster than anybody who's trying to centrally plan this issue of getting rid of abject poverty. And by that, I mean like less than a dollar a day. Now, people are like, hey, I want to live on more than $2 a day. I'm with you, but it takes time. It's a process. Things don't just happen because we vote for it. Um, but people are upset with Mr. Pinker because how dare you point out that the world's getting better? And I guess this is at the the root of why I'm annoyed with politics. I had so many freaking people, and I've made this point before, on the left and the right, telling me that my life sucks, and my fellow Americans' lives suck, and it'll suck less if I can be your champion. It's like... <laughs> That's what old dude said when he was telling people to get on Lolita. Right. Well, it's like... You know, I've, I've had wonderful conversations with people of faith. And people of different denominations, and not just Christianity, different faiths. Now, the Jewish folks I've talked, they don't evangelize. <laughs> They're like, if you want to be Jewish, you got to really want to be Jewish, all right? Well, you got to really prove that you want to be part of the team, okay? They're not trying to save anybody. Um, but with some Christians, I, again, I've had wonderful conversations. I was raised Catholic. But there's one line that I, uh, I don't, there's one approach I don't like. The sort of, oh, poor you. Bless your heart. And more than that, you're so without. And it's just like, there's a, there's a, there's a hole in your heart. It's almost like a missing puzzle piece. And I have the puzzle piece that fits perfectly within there. It's like, I, I get it. And if whatever faith or whatever, it doesn't have to be religious faith, anything gives people meaning and purpose for positive change in the world, 
wonderful. Even if it's politics, gets you to get off your duff and go out there and make a better life for yourself and others, great. But I'm so tired of essentially people talking down, not, not just even in terms of the country, talking down what has happened in the last few decades for the sake of their political plans to save the world. It drives me nuts. It's always negative. Isn't that what all the politicians do? I mean, most of them. Yeah. I mean, there are a few with kind of good, positive messages, but that's not what's hip these days. It's not what's hip at all. But I want to come back to something. I'm done with my own negativity and rant on uh, on politics, how it's annoying me. There's an interesting conversation I heard the other day on a podcast. You remember he was big. He kind of was a flash in the pan um, in conservative circles for a little while, especially with the rise of Trump. Remember the name Mayo Thionopoulos? Gay guy, British, and a very flamboyant, uh, blonde hair. No. He was, uh, he was no, really making the rounds on college campuses, sort of calling Trump the daddy all the time. <laughs> oh, and, man, if yeah. I would have heard that, I would have remembered that. No, and he was very entertaining. I, I laughed, awesome. I laughed my tail off uh, listening to him take on people. But he was taken down. He was according to Milo, about to speak at CPAC. He doesn't think the left took him down. He, think it's, he thinks it was the right or the never-Trumpers or the establishment right. And he was supposed to speak at one of the biggest conservative conferences of the year, CSPAC Milo, CPAC Milo was. And all of a sudden, a video selectively edited and spliced together of him talking about an experience of being having a sexual encounter when he was a very young man with a priest but he was talking about it in terms of this is like he wasn't a victim he didn't want to play the victim card you gotta play a card he just didn't pick that one like, I th- he said something to the effect of like he was the one who su- he seduced the priest all this stuff in these clips and it, it got I remember seeing it on it was several podcasts one was on Joe Rogan's show and I remember hearing that going oh that's kind of icky and weird um, and but the way it was spliced together, it made it seem like Milo was saying this was a good thing, not just for him but for everybody. This this can be a positive thing, and we should have laws against this, which isn't what he was saying. But this podcast is several years later. Milo, after that clip was put out there, and after what he was saying about his own experience of being molested, was put in the spotlight to bring him down. He was taken down. That's terrible, man. He did I mean, not get to speak at CPAC. I feel like somebody saying that is taking the best of a terrible thing. Exactly. Because, I mean, you could take that and let that ruin your life and you just bring you down for the rest of your life and you end up killing yourself because of that. Or you could be like, hey, that happened. This is what I think I happened. This. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it sucked, but yeah. Maybe but who I am. Milo was having a conversation on uh, Jordan Peterson's new podcast with Jordan. And... Jordan, as a trained psychologist, was saying, when I heard that interview, I was like, there's some trouble here. And the question he asked, and I think it's a good question, whether it's an incredibly traumatic experience, even if you don't think you were a victim, but something that changed your life. Uh, Peterson asked, when's the last time you thought about that event as you today, in your mid-30s? Every day. And, okay, so, and what... Peterson said to Milo as the mistake he was making is that you are thinking of being you were thinking of that situation as though you are you, you today back then you weren't 30 something years old back then you were 14 you were 15 being manipulated yeah. yes by an adult so you need to revisit that and really think about what that what effect that had on your life and actually to his credit Milo said that He's the relationship he's in, he's a gay man, but they've adopted and he's helping raise kids now. And he said now that experience made him rethink his own experience. Helping raise kids has made him think, Oh my god, who did the the man who did this to me is a monster. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't have that perspective. He wanted to not play the victim, he wanted to own the experience, like I'm fine with it. Put walls up and be like, Yeah. Right. When you have to just be like, hey, this is the reality of it, and this is what really, really happened. Right. So it's, it is a terrible, terrible thing. You know, I'm, I'm not one to criminalize uh, sexual behavior almost in any way for adults, for grown adults. 
But my point is, when I see Mr. Epstein here, I especially, it's not just an adult, it's an adult with billions of dollars and multiple private jets and access to all sorts of uh, means and tools that I, I can't even imagine. I, I don't know what it's like to be that rich and he's, that powerful. He, he's going to be in jail for a week. Uh, people are people. And you know what people don't like? People don't like guys like that. Okay. Right. Well, but there's something, you know, for, again, I'll make my point in a more blunt way. I think prostitution should be legal because I think making it illegal, number one, makes it more difficult to actually go after true sex trafficking cases. Other, you know, like this, what, this case down in Florida where Bob Kraft was caught on tape being pleasured by some masseuse. Yeah, it turned out that was just run-of-the-mill prostitution. It wasn't sex trafficking. The women weren't being forced to do it. They were making a buck. And so you can think that's wrong, and I, I think it's wrong. I don't think it should be illegal. When it's adults... They're adults. They're adults. Whatever you want. I think it would be safer for everybody involved, number one. You bring things out of the shadows, it makes it a bit safer. It's regulated to a degree by common law standards and just basic, well, as decent as you can be and that sort of thing. But when it comes to a grown adult preying on a child, there is a reason people are, and you have a child, you have a little girl, kids are so impressionable. And even when you're talking a 16-year-old, I mean, it's very rare for a 16-year-old to have you know, wisdom beyond their years. It's terrible. And when that guy goes to jail for that week, he'll be lucky to come out. Yeah, because I mean. in jail, they don't like that. Yeah, but it's jail, not prison. Either way. He'll, he's probably in a holding cell by himself. You better hope so. Yeah, I'm sure he yeah, is. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Um, we'll see. I If they give him bail, I, I think he is a flight risk. He literally can fly out of the country. Lolita. On his Lolita that's Express. Terrible. It is just absolutely That's a picture of him terrible. up top, right? Yeah. I love that he looks horrible. Well, that's usually the case with mug shots, isn't it? Just a gross, gross story. But the scuttlebutt is, ooh, he might do a plea deal for like five years in prison. Never and like out. some nice, you know, club fed. And in exchange, he'll, he'll give all the names of all his associates who took part in some of this lewd behavior. See, and if he, if he does that... It'll get him killed, too. Well, and the speculation is it'll be names we all know. Oh. Cool. Like, there have been rumors for years that Bill Clinton knows this guy. Oh. And was on the manifest of the Lolita Express. Now, Clinton's spokesperson today said it, Bill Clinton knows nothing about his terrible crimes and allegations. He's, And I'm sure they'll weasel their way out of it. But if he starts talking... Could bring down a lot of powerful people. Do you think some of the stories about Clinton on the plane was his plane? Yeah. That's exactly what the stories are. Yeah. And you don't know. I mean, this is the thing, folks. I have to be a little skeptical because when it comes to powerful people, whether they're politically powerful like presidents or senators or whatever, or judges, or they're you know financially powerful, they're you know, business tycoons and financiers like Jeffrey here, People who aren't that, who aren't as powerful, historically speaking, and to this day, we make up stories about the rich and powerful. We like to see, I mean, and it's universal across culture and time. It's an amazing phenomenon. We think the worst of the rich and powerful because we're not them. And maybe there's something to it. But a lot of the time, it's just kind of an excuse to go, oh, that guy's rich and powerful. He's got more than me, and he can tell me what to do, so I'm going to assume he's the worst. He's got all sorts of weird perversions and proclivities, and uh, he's just preying on the young and the old. Like We like to assume the worst about people who have power over us. And so it may be true. There's a grain of truth in all of that. But I don't know. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. And if it's true, uh, I hope he uh, he's locked up for a while. But it's, it's one of those crimes, is my point, and why I went into this so deep tonight. It's one of those crimes that it's not like you can make somebody whole. To me, it's up there with murder and rape. Um, it's something that will 
that can really destroy somebody's life. It really does. It just changes everything. Yeah. And, I mean, they never forget it. No matter how you cope with it, it's always going to be there. Right. And, I mean, uh, like the one dude, you know, he, uh, he was thinking of himself as a 14-year-old. And it's like, I, I manipulated him. It's like, dude, yeah, right. No, He's you a grown didn't. man you, over here. You did not. Yeah. Being like, okay. Right. Yeah. No, you didn't. You're, that's just a story you tell yourself, Milo. And to Milo's credit, he's grown up some in the last few years, and he kind of understands that now. And that's one opportunity we need as well. That podcast got me thinking in today's outrage cancellation culture, where it's like, you said something wrong five years ago. You have to fry for it. You can't be in the public eye anymore. It, it's just ridiculous. It's like off with their heads is the mentality. It should be our phrase for today's age. Off with their heads. Off with their heads. I don't like what he said. And how do you deal with that? Mostly the best way that I've seen is you just own it. Right. You're just like, yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. You know, apologize. I did it. Well, Run. but life is messy. Yeah. Life is very messy. And it reminds me of music. Before we get into that, we got to hit a break. Because music isn't always perfect. Life isn't always perfect. There's some messiness to it. You need to allow growth. You need to allow... Change. Change. Um, you need to allow people to make mistakes so they become better people. Because if we expect perfection from the get-go... Mm, Might get well, let down. Yeah. Keep, keep that bar low. Constantly disappointed. This isn't an excuse of criminal behavior, but it is... Uh, when it's short of criminal behavior... We should, you know, hold off on passing too much judgment. And even if it is criminal behavior, it depends on the crime. That's the one thing that's amazing. Like, you can go to prison for, like, you know, manslaughter, and then you get out of prison. You serve your time. Do the crime, you serve the time, and the slate's wiped clean. But a lot of society doesn't feel that way. Oh, you serve your time. People assume the worst. Because you did something once, you're that way forever. Uh, and you, I can't blame people. I'd be skeptical of anybody who's got one of those signs in front of their yard. Man, I knew a guy that something like that happened to him, and he got off, and um, it changed him. You could see his face. Yeah. You know, his face went from a young guy to an old man in mm. no time at all. Yeah. It, it's real messed up. But I, I kind of want to segue into what I was uh, doing uh, this weekend. But before we do that, we got to hit this break and uh, tell folks that the show is brought to you in part by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Eddie Bader is a top-notch real estate agent. So if you're thinking of buying or selling a home here in the River Region, or really wherever in the state of Alabama, if it's a good enough deal, give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call, 322-0662. Again, that number, Seth? 322-0662. He, I think he even goes to Florida. Yeah. And I got to go on the pontoon boat with him. Really? Yeah, you went out there. Though, it was awesome. Me and little Rose, her mm -hmm. first little boat trip. Man, Eddie is the man. And he really knows his stuff. He can do that uh, tour of lakeside properties, if you like. Using we were the just hanging boat. out, and mm -hmm. he was selling me stuff. Yeah. No, he's always on. He's always having fun, but he's always working, too. He's going to be very proactive because he works with both buyers and sellers. He can help connect the two. And if you're a first-time home buyer, I highly suggest Eddie because he's very personable, very down-to-earth. He changed his own life by purchasing, managing, and helping other people purchase and manage, buy and sell real estate. And so he's going to share that knowledge with you in a very down-to-earth manner, uh, and he's going to go the extra mile, be proactive. He's that type of real estate agent. Helps you, helps himself. It's a win-win all the way around. So if you're, again, interested in buying or selling a home here in the River Region, give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. 322-0662. 322-0662. Thank you, Seth. I seriously, man. This goes into what I did this weekend. It's just such good stuff. We'll be right back. Joey Clark.
Zoe Clark. Welcome back. Just because life isn't perfect doesn't mean you always have to be some negative Nancy. And just because the music isn't perfect doesn't mean it isn't good music. Well, sometimes life can be just downright bad. Same with music. Like this song I recorded, I don't know, how many years ago? Over 10 years ago I recorded this, made this, and uh, this little just jam. It's not great. It it's not, not bad either. Just music. Just it a fits. song. It's just, you know, today's, I think, National Video Game Day. Sweet. While a lot of people were playing video games, my roommates in college, I did this. This was my video game. It sounds like it. And I had occasionally, you know, crazy daydreams of, oh, I'll be a famous artist. But no, it never really was about that. It was about uh, enjoying myself, being creative. Just seeing, testing myself, seeing what I could do. And I'm not fantastic at it, but I enjoy it. And I have somewhat of an ear for it. And I just enjoy making the rhythm work. You're good at it, man. You sent me that song this weekend. It was was what you told me it was, and it sounded great. I mean, it wasn't my cup of tea, but I still loved it. Right, and it's what I did this week, this long four-day weekend, is I was invited up to the lake on the 4th of July. I was invited to a few things, and I kind of made the game time decision. I'm like, no, I've been running around like crazy the last few weeks. It has been a blur. Like getting prepared to have a week off, then having that week off, and though it was amazing in upstate New York with my brother and the wedding and all those festivities, I was still at, you know, you know, vacations can tire you out. They don't make you relax. And then I get back and it's all sorts of I'm covering for other hosts, and then I have to cover for Greg the next week, and then we have a three-day week, and it's just like, oh, when the fourth came, that last Thursday, I was like, I just need to stay home. (laughs) (laughs) You look a little rough, man. I need to relax here for a second. And what I did is I kind of went back to my roots. I was like, I haven't made a song in, well, 10 years. Got so caught up in the politics and, you know, saving the world. That I realized I'd lost something that I really loved, that made me happy. Even though it wasn't going to, and it won't, I'm guessing, make me rich and famous, music, making music won't. Doesn't matter. It's not Doesn't about matter. It, it makes me happy. I have a question. Yeah. When you did what you did this weekend, mm-hmm. did it give you the same feeling? Yes. Cool. It was very cool. I, folks, since the way I did it is I did it all on my phone. It's amazing, by the way, where technology has come. Like, on my phone, okay, I'll automate a very simple drum pattern. Then I'll play live drums, like, with the drum machine on top of that. And then I'll add a little bit of acoustic guitar, because that's more my bailiwick, playing, you know, basic guitar chords and a little bit of soloing. And then add on top of that, you know, some bass parts, some synth parts, and just start layering and start listening to how the rhythm works, listen to the space and how to mix it properly and all this stuff. It's like a nice challenge. It really is It's kind of like a real-life video game. Yeah, I'm staring at a screen just like somebody playing a game, but it, it really gives me that joy because I'm the one really crafting the game. Like, music can be anything. It really can be anything. And the thing that inspired me is I... I Picked up an audiobook. Um, I actually have about three and a half hours left on it. It was initially a 20 hour listen in audiobook form. Um, but let me pull it up here. It is by a guy named Dwayne Tudal. Dwayne Tudal wrote a book called Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions 1983 and 80, 1984. Now, there have been a lot of books written about the Purple Rain Era, a lot of documentaries after the dude died. All that stuff. And even though I'm a fanboy, it's obvious by now, if you've been listening to me, anybody who knows me, my God, other than my... (laughs) Well, and I I failed to mention this. uh, Four years ago to this day, my mom passed. I'm I'm sorry, man. I'm doing all right today. Um, You know, the more time that passes... Uh, I I miss her something fierce, but it's... But she's looking down, man, and she's proud of you. Well, and it's more I'm at... uh, uh, in a weird way, I'm at peace with the fact that you can't wrestle with reality. You have to recognize reality and something George Orwell used to say, and the power of facing unpleasant facts. And it's an unpleasant fact, to put it mildly. 
utterly tragic, to put it in more particularly. Um, but it, when you face it, so that's fact. What you have to do, you can't avoid it. Yeah, I, now I don't, just to be a, a bit real, I don't want to get too personal, make this what the show's about in the last 18 minutes, but I don't think of it in terms of like she's looking down um, or she's here. And I can be more cool with the idea of she's here. Like for instance, when I'm at Will's wedding, my brother's wedding, and I'm watching my uncle officiate the wedding, the priest. Like, he looks a lot like my mom, and I was almost like seeing her face come up off of his. Like, there are, there are little things that make you remember her. Um, I think of it in a way that she was so influential to my life in a good way, and maybe in some other ways I haven't foreseen, that it's like, it's what I said in her eulogy. How could a, how could a creation ever even begin to understand the creator? Yeah. How could a, a work of art ever begin to understand the artist? And uh, her friend asked her, when she got sick, what is it like having sons? She says, like a lifelong love affair that never ends. And it hasn't. Even in, after death, it has not ended. I love her something fierce and miss her because of it. Um, but in that respect, I, I kind of started thinking about my roots. And so I'm, I'm reading this uh they're really listening to this Prince audiobook, and there are there are a lot of things out there that I think are kind of crap. Like it's just the usual celebrity fanboy stuff. This book is not that. If you're a fan of music, of people making music, I prefer the audiobook form because I love podcasts and just kind of doing my thing, doing chores while listening to something and interesting. But this book essentially, this guy took all the work orders, whenever Prince or anybody else went into the studio, whether in Los Angeles or Minneapolis, they had to fill out a work order to send to Warner Brothers to say, hey, on this day, like February 17th, 1983, it was Prince along with, you know, so-and-so in the studio, here's the engineer, here's the song they worked on for this many hours. And so this author went and found the people who were there like the engineer who worked it. And he lays out an incredibly detailed timeline, because the thing about Prince is he was, if he wasn't on a date, which a date consisted of usually inviting a girl to the studio and locking the door. It's a date. They would, be alone, they would be alone in the radio studio, or not the radio, alone in the recording studio, doing God knows what. Um, these are very nice places, folks. Very, you know, it feels like not home. afterwards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and if you've heard some of these tracks, you know what went on in there. Uh, some of Prince's tracks, but uh, it's very detailed, and so it kind of amazed me. And one of the most prominent engineers at that time was a woman named Susan Rogers. She's now gone on to be an incredibly successful professor of like music and like neuropsychology, like the effect of music on the brain and. How, just how, like, temperament affects how you might have a certain political affiliation. So if you're more orderly and you, you higher, have a higher mechanism for, like, disgust, you like to th keep things, in the, speaking of orderly, like, in their place. Everything like, has a place, and it's a straight line. Right. <laughs> you're probably going to be conservative if that's your temperament. Before we even start talking about political ideology or basic political values, that just based on your temperament, you'll most likely be a conservative. Or if you're you more kind of like, everything's open, man, and it flows together, and I'm very creative, you're probably going to be more liberal or left-wing. Uh, now there's some weird crossover stuff, but it's very cool how temperament can, and a personality profile can not only show well, maybe you'll be politically speaking, but also what kind of music you'll like. Mm -hmm. So as she was going into this, I thought about you and I, Seth. Like, I think I have, and I'll just admit it, I have a, a, a fascination with the topics, taboo topics, as in my experience. Maybe it's some repressed Catholic thing, but I love, like, Prince because he would... I remember the first time, that song I played... Uh, going in and out of the first break, Erotic City. The first time I heard the studio version of that, I thought, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm breaking the rules. Like, this is dirty. Like, this is, what is it? What? And it, it wasn't just the lyrics. It was like the whole presentation and vibe of the song. It's being able to listen to him jam, and it's not produced and reproduced and mastered and all this stuff. It is 
old school, straight up, just him. Right. Well, and but it is the vibe. Uh, and if you hear the the original track, I like the seven minute long. That's what he would do. He would record like seven, ten minute long versions of all his songs, and then he'd edit it down for albums. But when they first did it, it's like let's get the idea out. So Susan Rogers is one of these engineers, and after she had only been an engineer for Prince. And she realized, as other people started giving her offers, and I think this can apply to a, a lot of life, not all of us get, you know, kind of a brush with greatness. And it's not just greatness from a point of view of, I like the guy's music. Maybe you don't. But it's greatness in the sense that this guy was just so good. He heard everything. He didn't make mistakes in a overt way. Like, he had perfect time, perfect pitch, like, really knew what he was doing. And it's nice on those solos with a guitar. When you can mm-hmm. hear every once in a while when he makes a mistake, but he just keeps going and plays through it, and it sounds just really, really good. And he didn't really care about like the technical mixing of a, a audio track. He just wanted it on there. He didn't even care if like the red line levels on his meters are going nuts. He's like, "Nah, it sounds good, man." I feel it. You'll feel if it. If it's funky, it's funky. You yeah. know, I like it. I, he likes. He said, "I like bass, not in B A S S. That's a fish. I like bass as in B A S E. Like it's a bass, an anchor to the song. It's like you know, holds you down and gives you a room to sort of jump off of it and do little flourishes with That's your awesome. fire and stuff. And but Susan Rogers realized that he had only been working with this essentially virtuoso this like prodigy natural genius and other people started you know requesting her to work on her their albums with her and she realized i don't know what i'm doing i'm used to just this great person so she said that she hooked up with one band and i can't remember the name of these two guys but they've gone on to be incredible producers themselves and they're like they taught me what music was i was so in prince world i only understood music from his sort of almost manic, like, just had to, insatiable. I got music in my head. I just got to get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. Where she was like, I'm, I had to figure out what is music. And this interviewer says, well, what, what, what did they teach you? They said, well, they started to think of what is music in the terms of, like, when a toddler picks up a stupid toy xylophone and starts banging on it. Or a kid in the back seat starts singing an obnoxious song. Why do people like, you know, all these jokes about Barney? I was a Barney kid, and I was. Why is it that weird sort of simple, you know, few-note song really captures kids' imagination? Essentially, deeper down the rabbit hole, music is everything. It's a toddler first trying to make the sounds that they're hearing in the world, all the way to somebody who's 95 years old. And is trying to sing like they used to, but the body's failing them. But they're still doing it. Right. Music is the first people, our ancestors, thousands of years ago, sharing rhythms and other sounds. Like, music is everything. It doesn't have to be the virtuoso. It doesn't have to be Mozart. It can be like a, a punk band. Me and Rose been riding around. Last mm. couple of days, we didn't have a radio for two or three days. Right. And after ten minutes, she starts singing. I've been singing at the ABCs and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with her. And at first she looked at me kind of crazy. But then we both sing it at the same time. Right. And we're driving down the road singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Well, And, you, and that's the, the a great point that you're leading me to. It's not like a incredibly intricate technical achievement, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. But do you, I guess you can, I'm guessing here, the amount of joy and happiness you got from singing that with her oh it's great right it's great that's what music is that's essentially what this engineer figured out like oh it's it's just enjoying life it's sort of the process of being creative and everybody can do it some people are more inclined than others but everybody kind of has an experience with this sort of thing and a fascinating point she made to sort of further this idea is you know, early, any sort of early manifestation of something, a, like, say, a particular type of genre, like early punk music. Mm-hmm. You listen to early punk music, it's not good. Nuts. But it's Nuts. not it's not good in a technical sense, in, like, in, in terms of, like, how difficult what they're playing is, 
um, like, is it even in tune, how it's recorded. It's not great. Because it didn't matter. But, it, yes, it didn't matter. What people cared about wasn't, like, the technical sonic, you know, palette of, like, what does the song sound like in that sense. No, it's a vibe. It's, it's a like, feeling. It's a feel. It's rock and roll. Yeah. Rock and roll isn't this, like, oh, I'm going to go and learn this scale with these particular chords and arrange it in this. No. It's not about the form. It's about the feeling. It's about the message you're trying to express with that music. So that's why, excuse me, pardon me, punk music early on, though it wasn't technically great, was kick-ass. It had yeah. a message. It really was a kick in the face. D and, a lot and that's of what that you like. Was just, we don't care. But then... That's why I said Vicious is dead. But, right. <laughs> but then, think about Nashville. Where Nashville, country music is very, very old in this country. And she suggested that's why the best players on earth are probably in Nashville. Because if you're going to do an older form, whether it's country music or it's old symphonic music, you better be the best at it. Because people have heard it before. Oh, I, I know what a country song is. I've heard that dumb before. So if you're going to be successful and continue to do this old form of music everybody's familiar with, it better be the best version of that old form of music. So there's something about the cutting edge and new that we accept is sort of spontaneous, though it might sound a little sloppy or a little rough. But if it's old, well, you better have perfected that crap. And, you know, it, I think this applies to so much in life. Like, it's one thing when an 18-year-old kid makes a mistake, even if it's a terrible, terrible mistake. Like, you are in tough times and you rob somebody. People aren't going to like it. Some people might say, lock them up, throw away the key. But I think more people, because it's a young person, will go, what led that young person to do that? They just started. They just didn't know. They just didn't know. What are they missing in their life that led them to do that destructive behavior? Everybody makes mistakes. But then when you see like a 50 or 60-year-old man do the same thing. What was he thinking? Yeah, there's not as much forgiveness. Like, you should know by now. Yeah. You really should know. It's why when you hear these stories of, like, I did this thing in college, man, and we were so drunk and messed up, and I'm not proud of what I did, but it's a great story. That's one thing. If, again, you're 50, how old is Epstein here, this ugly mug I'm looking at on the screen? I don't know. He's probably in his 60s, 70s, maybe. I don't know. When you're that old, and apparently the allegations of what he did was in the early 2000s, so let's say he was 50-something. Like, what, what is wrong with you? You know the excuse. Right. Money. He had money. He could do everything, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, come on, man. Right. There's no excuse for that. Well, and there's less forgiveness. And in a way, I look at the whole country. I look at, like, the United States political system. We're still pretty new. There's a lot of sloppiness that's allowed. And it's one thing I get a little frustrated with, especially with folks on the left. When you look at, like, the history of America, was there slavery? Yeah, there was. There's also slavery for all of human history. And by the way, there was also a war fought over slavery. Maybe didn't start that way. It was more about preserving the Union or states' rights. But then it definitely, slavery was the issue undergirding all of that. It became the most prominent aspect of the war. It's probably what drove the biggest wedge to begin with. And so thousands and thousands and thousands of people die trying to get over that. More people... It, it, the idea, though, is because we're such a new country with this ridiculous ideal of we're all created equal and liberty and justice for all, we're not going to get there. We're an imperfect union. And so it's going to take some time to get there. Now, when I look at places like China or Russia, I get a little nervous. Why? Because, again, the United States and even the Europeans are old, but democracy in Europe's very new. If you're in the grand scheme of things, you're still talking hundreds of years. And in the United States, we're still very young. You know, only a 200-something-year-old country. China is thousands of years old. And they have a long, long history and memory. And they see themselves, going forward, as not, you know, becoming this new, powerful nation on the scene, but just 
taking their rightful place in human history. As nations and cultures rose and fell, you know, rise and fall, China was there as usually the most powerful culture, one of them, in human history. And they're just going to take their place? Yeah, yeah well, and their idea is, well, we're not, we're not creating something new. We're just, you know, rejuvenating what China has always been. Oh. So the, it makes me worry a little bit about, in a way, it means you have less of an excuse, China, if you really mess up. Oh. But it also, I think, gives them more of an excuse to do things in their own particular way, because they are essentially appealing to thousands of years of history. It's just, it's messy. And so when I, I tried to be very understanding, I, of course, believe in innocence until you're proven guilty. But uh, there's a lot of weird things to this case with Epstein. Oh, and by the way, I just saw an article that made me smile. Oh! The, a new study by Southern Methodist University found that, based on the big five personality traits, I was talking about this earlier with temperament, mm -hmm. there are more psychopaths. The presence of psychopaths in the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., is consistent with the conjecture that psychopaths are likely to be effective in political sphere. There are more psychopaths in Washington, D.C. than anywhere else in the country. Totally believe it. And we're talking technically psychopaths. Let's see who this is. We only have like 30 seconds left. Who's this? We only have like 30 seconds left. Hello? No, nobody there. Yeah. Thanks for trying. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much for being patient with me. But Seth, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, man. Yeah. Kind of all over the map here. Made my day happy, man. But yeah, I'm just, I'm feeling good. Like, I mean, the world's aggravating. The politics is messy. The world's messy. Life is messy. What's but, new? But what can you create in the moment? And it doesn't have to, again, be perfect. It doesn't have to sell millions of dollars worth of merchandise and hits and whatnot. But, well, maybe it's just you by yourself. It's creating something new. Living in the moment a little bit. Uh, and... Well, I feel good. It was a good weekend. Yeah, man. Be back tomorrow night. Joey Clark.